ourselves through confrontation or basically by testing trials okay and things like that and basically it's not the trials themselves that will uh, that will purify us it's rather the attitude of our hearts the same sun the warmth of the sun that will melt butter will also make clay hard okay so it depends on the attitude of our hearts if we're submitted to God in the midst of testings and trials then it will make us better if we are angry at God then it will make us bitter so we need to understand uh, it's not in the trials themselves but it's how we act in the midst of the trial and we've heard some different readings today from the first second uh, and, and now the gospel and there's so many things that we can really talk about but of the many things that we can talk about I believe this is what God is wanting to communicate to us it doesn't mean it's the only message it doesn't mean the other messages are inferior it simply means this is what God is wanting to impress in our hearts and in our minds and it is this our covenant with God assures us of the victory over our enemies one more time our covenant with God assures us of the victory over our enemies okay now we need to understand that this God whom we call our God is a God of covenant if he did not enter into a covenant with us if he did not open a covenant with us we would not even have the right to call him our God okay see a covenant is a permanent uh, formal official eternal relationship it is not living it is not informal it is not casual okay it is a committed relationship and we go through a right to go to enter into this it's like marriage marriage is a covenant between a man and a woman that after the marriage it is pronounced to the people now they are one in the Lord what God has placed together let no man put asunder okay and basically what happens when we enter into a covenant with God we become one with God okay he becomes our God it's like the man and the woman when they get married the man becomes her husband the woman becomes his wife okay it's the same thing with God sometimes when we um, when we go into the world today and we face so many situations and problems uh, some people kind of hesitate to run to God first they have more confidence in going to their friends or other kinds of help before they come to God and the reason is sometimes they're not really sure whether God will be there for them okay you have to understand that this relationship that you have with God is a covenant and God is saying I am now your God you have a right to call upon me you have a right to expect me to show up for you because I am your God because I am your God I will be your deliverer I will be your savior I will be your healer I will be your provider I will be everything you need me to be 
Amen. I mean, it's uh, it's like when uh, Moses was talking to God and he asked, what, what am I going to tell them? I'm going to go back to the people and I'm going to tell them that you're the real God of Israel. Well, they know the God Ra. They know the different gods of Egypt. What's your name? What am I going to tell them? And God said to him, tell them I am who I am. In other words, I am the God you need me to be. If you need me to become your champion, I'll fight for you. If you need me to be your healer, I'll heal you. If you need me to provide for you, I'll provide for you. Because I am your God, you can expect that from me. Because I am in covenant with you. You understand what I'm saying? Hello? That should give us a sense of assurance. That when we're walking in the word, we're not walking alone. Okay? You might seem alone, but you're not alone. Because if he is your God, and this is a covenant relationship, okay, that means what his becomes what? Ours. Understand what I'm saying? And what's ours becomes his. It's like husband and wife. If someone has a debt and they enter into this relationship, okay, this was before nuptial agreements. Then the debt of one person becomes the debt of the other. Well, because he entered into a covenant with us, our debt became his debt. And he paid for it. How? He sent his son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. The price we could not pay, he decided to pay. Why? Because we are in covenant with him. We're not alone. Wherever we are, God is with us. All we have to do is but ask because he's our God. But we need to understand also, if he's our God, we are his people, right? We, that's why we have the commandments. You shall have no other gods with me because he's our God. Uh, we, we should not uh, 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 be involved in the rituals of other gods. Because we're not married to them, we're married to God. We are one with God. If we, if we can expect God to heal us, to bless us, to deliver us, to become everything that a God is for us, then God can expect us to be his people. That means we will worship him. That means if we have a need, we will trust in him. That means if we're going to live our lives, we are not going to adopt the values of the world, but we are going to adopt the values that God has given unto us. You understand what I'm saying? Hello? The Ten Commandments, the moment we enter into a relationship with God, no longer is the Ten Suggestions to us. You understand what I'm saying? See, we don't come up with our own values because this is what fits us. Because now we're in God. God says, because I'm your God, this is how you're going to live. You're going to honor your mother and your father. You're going to uh, forgive each other. You're going to help each other. There is, he tells us how to worship him, and then he tells us how to relate with each other, and then he tells us how to live out into the world. He said, I expect you to live that way because you're my people. I'm your God. You can expect it to heal you. 
You can expect me to answer when you call unto me. You can expect me to be there when you're in trouble. But I should be able to expect also your loyalty. I should be able to expect your, your faithfulness. I should be able to expect your trust, your faith, and your worship. Because this relationship that we have with God is not casual. It's not unofficial. It is not unlawful. It's not... Uh, let's be friends until, you know, such time that we get tired of each other and then let's uh, part as friends, no hard feelings. No, it's not like that. It is official. It is lawful. It is formal. It is permanent because it is a covenant. Hello? That should give us uh, assurance, especially in the world, okay? Uh, to be in covenant with God is to be in covenant, you know, it's to, uh, it, it, it gives us the assurance over the victory over our enemies. Now, what are the enemies I'm talking about? Well, in the Holy Scriptures, there is one that God describes his adversary. Okay? And uh, that, the name of that person is Satan. Once upon a time, he was Lucifer, the most beautiful cherubim in heaven. The one who was entrusted to walk in the, in the stones of fire in the heart of God. The one who was entrusted to give praise and glory to God. But he became vain because he was the most beautiful one. And he thought that he could build his throne above God. And he tried to entice all the angels. He could not entice all of them. And because he came against God, God threw him down. Became Satan. He became the adversary. The word adversary, it means an enemy of God. And he's against us. If God wants to bless us, the enemy wants to steal our blessings. If, if God wants to deliver us, the enemy wants to make sure we always make the same mistake that will keep us in bondage. If God wants to heal us, the enemy wants to make sure that we always remain sick. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hello? So we need to understand this, church. Yes, we are living in this world, and the enemy is right there, and he hates us, and he's plotting against us, okay? He's coming up with conspiracies against us. But we do not have to walk scared. We do not have to walk afraid. We do not have to walk insecure because we're not alone. Our God is a covenant with us has a covenant with us. Amen? That means we have his protection. Hello? We have his assurance. He's there for us. And so basically, as we live our life, we can live it with faith. Now let's go through some things I'd like to share with you. Basically, there are two thoughts here. I'm getting excited. Sorry. Um, two thoughts. I've shared many thoughts here. But these, 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 this is the outline. Uh, two thoughts I'd like to share with you. One, I'm basing this from verse 1 to verse 11. In baptism, we enter into a covenantal relationship with God. Okay? Verse 9 to 11, in baptism, we enter into a covenantal relationship with God. We'll come back to that. Uh, the second thought I'd like to share with you, uh, I'm basing this on verse 12 to 15. To stand in covenant with God is to stand against his enemies. To stand in covenant with God is to stand against his enemies. Okay, let's go back to the first thought. 
In baptism, we enter into covenantal relationship with God. Let's look first at verses uh, 9 to 11 of Mark chapter 1. It says, It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We find the story of Jesus Christ going through the baptism of John. We even find the story where in the book of in the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus Christ came to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist saying, uh, you want me to baptize you? Just just to be clear, you want me, John, to baptize you, Jesus. Uh, don't you think you've got that wrong? I should be baptized by you. But Jesus Christ said, no, let it be done so this way right now, so that all righteousness might be fulfilled. See, one of the things that Jesus Christ did when he was born, he identified with us. We believe that God and that Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God. He was, he is, and he will always be God. Amen? We have those two candles on the altar. One signifies Jesus as God, and the other one signifies Jesus as man. But he became like us. Okay? He was born on the earth to show how a man should be able to live. A man with a covenant with God should be able to live victoriously. And when he came to the earth, he only used that which was available to us. Not, there was not one point in time where he used the powers that were really his because he was God. If he needed wisdom, he never said, okay, I'm God, this is ridiculous, I don't have to study, all right? I'm God, I'll just turn it on for a while. Okay, I know this, I don't have to study this. Now, the Bible says Jesus Christ grew up in favor and in wisdom, okay? As God, he already had all the wisdom in the world, but just like you and me, we have to learn the wisdom of God while we're growing up. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? I mean, uh, walking on the water. I've heard people say, there was a time I was even preaching it. The reason why he could walk on the water was because he's God. So basically what that meant is that he had to get there. And so what he said, okay, a man cannot walk on the water. So what I'm going to do is turn off by being a man, be God again. So now I walk on the water. He didn't do it as God. He did it as a person dependent on the Holy Spirit. Hello? I mean, here we find in this baptism, the heavens parting, and something or someone came down on him. Who is that? Who is that? Who's the one who came down on Jesus Christ during his baptism? The Holy Spirit, right? What does he need the Holy Spirit for? Right? If he's got what does he need the Holy Spirit for? The Holy Spirit will empower us. If he's God, he's got all power. What does he need the Holy Spirit to give him power for? 
He needed the Holy Spirit because he was operating as a man. You understand what I'm saying? His own godly abilities he set aside and he decided only to do and operate in those things which are available to us. Otherwise, he could have never said, if you believe in me, the works that I do, you shall do also, and even greater works than these you will do. But if he cheated, he used his power as God, then that's one thing we can't do because we're not God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? He had to go through this because we have to go through this. As a man, he had to have a covenant with the Almighty. And so this baptism gives us a glimpse of our own baptism. In baptism, we enter into a covenant with God. And again, in, in, in the sacrament of holy baptism, especially in our catechism, it says there, there is the visible form that you see. Water is the visible sign and they are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then there is the invisible that you do not see. Okay. In other words, what, what, what is happening when a, when a baby is baptized in the font, you see the officiating minister uh, pour water on the baby or immerse the baby in the water. You see the baby getting wet. You see the baby getting or the child receiving the cross. Okay, and then being given a white garment. That's all you see. But at the same time, that is happening. There is something happening in the realm of the spirit. In the realm of the spirit, that the one being baptized is being immersed in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His death becomes that child's death. I mean, that he, he, he's immersed or his death becomes that child's death. The, his resurrection becomes that child's resurrection. He gets the benefits of what those things did for him. During that time, sin is taken away, original sin. Okay? During that time, he's adopted into the kingdom of God. These are things that you don't see, but they're happening in the realm of the spirit. Even the, the catechism, baptism, talks to us about the visible and the invisible. And here, we find the invisible taking place and nobody seems to be able to see it except John and or Jesus. It says here that, you know, first he came from, from Nazareth of Galilee. Oh, by the way, um, Nazareth of Galilee, it's a famous town now because of what Jesus Christ did. But before Jesus Christ came, Nazareth was not mentioned. It's not mentioned in the Old Testament. It is not mentioned in the writings of the Jewish uh, historian Josephus. It is not even written in the rabbinic literature, okay, before Jesus Christ came. It was a nowhere place, okay? Someone says, let's go to Nazareth. Nazareth, what? Okay? And you would think that Jesus Christ, Jerusalem, was more famous than Nazareth. And you would think God would bring Jesus Christ, cause Jesus Christ to be born in Jerusalem because that's the famous place. But no, Jesus was born in Nazareth. And the reason I'm pointing these things out is because uh, sometimes we have standards that is based on the world. We get the best, we, we get the brightest. There's not, really nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, we disqualify those who are not. God is not only able to use the best and the brightest, he can also use the things that are nothing in the world. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, when, when K 
King Saul disobeyed God, and God was replacing him. God gave Samuel, the prophet Samuel, instructions. You go to the house of Jesse. One of his sons is going to become the next king. And so he goes there, and, and you know, in comes the sons of Jesse. And this guy, the, the eldest, Eliab, was the tallest, muscular, you know, he was a hunk. All right? And Samuel says, this must be the king. I mean, he looks good. He looks solid. This must be the next king that the God, that God is telling me. And God said, uh, Samuel, you don't see the way I see. You judge by appearances, I judge by the heart. So the, the sons of Jesse walks before him, and, and there was nobody else. And Samuel says, uh, that's it? Those are all your sons? And Jesse said, well, there's another one, but he's standing the sheep, and he's just a boy, you know, and he's not impressive. Oh, you have to call him. So David didn't even have time to prepare. So he comes from the sheepfold, smelling like sheep, probably he's got something in his hair, looked a little wild probably, and then God said, that's the one. I am making him king. You understand what I'm saying? And here, we find Nazareth, nowhere place. And we're thinking, how come the primacy is here in Calibo? Wouldn't it be better if it's in Manila or Cebu? See, we need to think like God thinks. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay? And uh, here it says here, and immediately coming out from the water, he was baptized, coming out from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. He saw the heavens parting. The word parting is taken from a Greek word, shizane. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. But this gives the idea of ripping open with force the heavens. Okay? It's, it's as if this was something that God was waiting for for a long time. See, when God created man, he created him in the garden. Scripture says, God walked with man in the garden, but because of his disobedience, there was a separation that took place. Oh yeah, he gave him a system of animal sacrifices, okay? That would at least maintain uh, a relationship with God. It's not ideal, it's not perfect, but it would, uh, it would be okay for the moment until the perfect sacrifice came. And then Jesus Christ came. And it says here, the heavens were parted. It's like the song, rend the skies. It's not, it's not God acting dig with dignity and slowly opening the heavens. No, it's a sudden ripping apart. It's a violent ripping apart. And this signifies the desire of God, okay, to bring down his saving power, to bring down his presence, to be able to bring down to us the kingdom of God. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? I mean, the very first sermon of Jesus Christ, he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not out of hand. It's not out of reach. It's at hand. You can reach it. It's there. I brought it to you now. It's with you now. You don't have to live the life that you're living right now, a life based on desperation and fear. You can now live based on faith because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
Turn away from the old kingdom and turn to the kingdom of God because now it's open to you. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? And he, basically this tells us that God is more desire, desirous to help us than we are to pray. Sometimes we ask, God, will you help me? And if you could only say, yeah. He's saying, yes. Okay? He's not hesitating. People think that when we ask for God's help, he's kind of hesitating. Let me think about it. No, he's not. He wants to become involved in our lives. And when Jesus Christ says, when you go to the Father, he's in the secret place. He's there before you get there. He's waiting for you. Okay? And how long should I stay there? I mean, you know, I don't want to take up his time. I don't want to... You're not taking up his time. He's delighted you're there. He enjoys your company, even if you don't enjoy his. And when it's time for you to end, if you'll just stay and listen to God whisper, he'll tell you two minutes more. That's how God loves you. That's how God wants to become involved in your life. Because he wants to bless your life. Pour out everything. Jesus Christ said it this way. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Amen? He doesn't feel bad that he has to share things with you. He doesn't feel bad because he has obligations to take care of you. He delights in doing this. He is our Father. And here, the parting of the heavens... It shows us the desire of the Father to, uh, to be able to do this for us. And when he said to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. At that point, God is also saying to you, you are now my adopted son. You're now my adopted daughter. Amen. And you know what? It's not an inferior place with Jesus. Jesus Christ never told us, okay, guys, you become sons and daughters. You know, you'll become my brothers, you'll become my sister. But you need to understand something. I will always be the favorite. Okay? If God the Father loves you 100%, he will always love me 100 point something something percent. Always a little bit more. I'm the original. No, he never said that. He said, the time will come when you would go to the Father and ask him in my name. Okay? He said, normally, when you need something, you come to me, then I go to the Father, and I ask Him. And you have that confidence that my prayer will be answered. But I want you to know the time is coming that you will go to the Father, and you will ask Him yourself in my name, and He will delight in you. Why? Because the Father loves you the same way He loves the Son. How does God the Father love you? The same way He loves Jesus Christ. Not anymore not any less. You understand what I'm saying? Hello? Doesn't sound like a Lenten message, right? Sounds more like Easter. But we need to understand this church in order for us to have the confidence that we need to have. So we become his sons, and as his sons, we have the privileges in the kingdom of God. I am well. He says I, he's well pleased with us. Then let's go to the second thought, verse 12 to 15, because I'm running out of time here. To stand in common with God is to stand against his enemies. You have to understand here, the Father is for you. Jesus is for you. The Holy Spirit is right here, being with you, all right? And then it says in verse 12, Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and there he, in the wilderness, for 40 days, he was tempted by Satan. 
and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now, the word tempted here is from a Greek word, peirazo. It can be translated to test. It can be translated to tempt. What's the difference? To tempt you is to entice you to do wrong. To test you is to give you the opportunity to choose the right thing. Okay? To tempt you is to hope for your failure. To test you is to hope that you would succeed. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? So we need to understand that, church. And, and it's like the Spirit of God moved Jesus for a power showdown with the enemy. Okay? 40 days fasting. He was also redeeming the lost time when the nation of Israel wandered 40 years in the wilderness. They wandered 40 years simply because they disobeyed God. They failed their test. So Jesus Christ had to do that also for them and for us. Okay? And uh, it says here, he was in the spirit drawn in the wilderness, and there in the wilderness, 40 days, he was tempted by Satan. You need to understand something. Satan was not tempting Jesus in order to make him stronger. Satan was tempting Jesus in order for Jesus to lose his position with God. He wanted Jesus to fail. Okay? He wanted Jesus to forget who he was. He wanted Jesus to compromise. Satan is no friend. He is no helper. Okay? Satan is not a person who is able to uh, have compassion. He does not. Why do I say that? Because as we are living in these days, there will be a spirit of deception that will entice us to believe that the ways of the enemy, they're okay also. They're not. Okay? Hello? We need to understand this, church. He's an enemy. He's not for you. He's against you. Okay? And, uh, and we need to understand also that there's the, uh, there's the reality of spiritual warfare. Okay? Some people say, well, you know, there's no more warfare because Satan is a defeated foe. Yes, he is. But it never mean, he never stopped fighting. Okay? It's like the Japanese traveler that was uh, discovered in one of the hills, one of the provinces. He was still fighting. And when people told him the war is over, no, he couldn't believe that. So they had to get someone from Japan that he recognized, an old officer. They had to bring him to the Philippines and he had to give him an order to lay down his arms because he's still fighting. Satan is a defeated foe. He has lost his authority because of what Christ has done. But he still has his abilities. The thing is, all of these abilities are subject to the authority you have in Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hello? See, I get the question, well, if God is such a good God, why is he allowing the evil in the world? Well, it's not really him allowing it. The keys of the kingdom was given to the church. Did he not say to Peter, I give you the keys of the kingdom. What you bind, what you do not permit, what you restrict, what you forbid on the earth will have been forbidden in heaven. What you lose 
what you permit, what you allow, will have been loosed in heaven. People are still thinking it's up to God. Well, God is there supporting the church. But the church should rise up in the stands hour and not allow the enemy to do what he's doing. It's going to be clash, power encounters, and you do not have to be afraid. Now we all know God is more powerful than Satan, right? I mean, just want the fit. Let's just talk about the tip of the little finger of God. It's more powerful, contains more power than all the power of the kingdom of darkness. Amen? Guess who has that same kind of power? You do. Because the greater one is in you. And you are now his child. You understand what I'm saying? So we need to understand this church. Even though there's going to be a war, yeah, there's going to be some fighting. Yeah, there's going to be some kind of struggle. But you need to understand, this is a winning fight. That's why scripture says, fight the good fight of faith. Stand your ground. Don't compromise. Don't give in. You stand your ground because God is with you. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. And according to the Holy Scriptures here, even the angels are with you. He says, uh, and after John was out in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom, saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. To repent and to believe in the gospel is to take the gospel and make it your lifestyle. In other words, we're preaching the gospel, not just with our words, but with our very lives. Okay? It says here, the angels minister to him. Don't you know that when you're born on the earth, you've got angels with you, you never lose your angels. But sometimes, we tie their hands. I remember reading this uh, testimony of this one, one girl coming from school. Apparently, she stayed in school very late, and uh, it's now time for her to go home. And she was wondering, if I take the long cut, you know, I'll be much more late than this. Maybe I'll take the shortcut, but it's becoming dark, but at least I'll get by quicker. All right. So she decides, I'll, I'll take the shortcut. Nothing's going to happen to me. So she took the shortcut and she saw this one little bridge and she started crossing the bridge. And when she started crossing the bridge, suddenly there was a guy that came out from the inn. And she got startled and she got scared. And she said, Oh God, I need your help. I need you to watch over me. I need you to get me through. And then there was a peace that came upon her, uh, a boldness that came upon her, an assurance that nothing's going to happen to her. And she continued to walk. And she passed by this man. This man was looking at her. and was looking at something else, but she went through. The next day, they found out that another girl who crossed the bridge right after she crossed uh, was harmed by this man. And when they captured this man, you know, they had to use her as the one who could identify him because she saw the face. And when she identified, she was, you know, uh, she asked the officer, Can, could you just ask him one thing? What is it? 
why did why did he harm the girl that came after me why did he let me pass okay so the officer asked that question of the man and the man said well the first one when she walked was not alone there were two large uh, men on the right side and on the left side of her I'm not gonna mess with her but she was alone except that she had her angels Understand what I'm saying? We've got that. We've got the treasury of heaven backing us. We've got the promise of God backing us. We've got the forces of heaven backing us. We don't have to compromise with the enemy. The enemy says, you've got to do it this way because it's not going to work that way. No, it's going to work this way. The enemy will try to tell you, nice guys, finish last. Not really. We need to understand when we have trust in the Lord, if he's for us, nothing can be effectively against us. Amen? Understand this, whatever you're facing, whatever situation you're going through, you're not alone. You have a permanent, everlasting, official, lawful, strong, solid covenant relationship with God. He's your God and he's ready to help you at any time. Amen. Did you learn something?